0: You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. Dylan Spilko here with your host, Lauren Roche, managing editor of Testudo Times. We're joined along with Sam Ostry, one of our other editors, and Sam is going through some technical difficulties, but we're going to try to work through that. Let's just start with the football game. Let's get right to it. Talking about the football, Maryland football game. They win 30 to 24 at home. They get the win at College Park against the good West Virginia team. Give me your thoughts on the win, guys. How are we doing today? Thoughts on the win, back in person. Finally, a football game in College Park is being played with fans.
1: Yeah, so for me first, just talk about the atmosphere there. I mean, I hadn't like by far. I'm junior. You guys are seniors. That was by far the most electric atmosphere I've seen. The shell packed house. Fans were staying till the end, as they should have because it was a great game. But it was really just an electric atmosphere. The fans showed up. The players and uh, Loxley acknowledged that after the game. The impact the fans played there. It really was. There was a lot of West Virginia fans too, but way more white. It was the whiteout, and just an amazing win for Maryland. A statement win. Really to set the tone for the season, we'll get to how we think this plays out for the rest of the season later. But just really, just go into they don't they don't have a Big Ten game this week, but then to set up, send a message to the Big Ten like, all right, Maryland's not a layover this year, Maryland, and they kind of did last year, but in a real season without COVID this year, they're, they're sending a message to everyone across the country and in the Big Ten like. We're, we're a real program that we're done with the development. We're done, we're done with the rebuilding. Like Maryland's here to stay. You're not, it's not going to be a layover coming in the college park or when you've Maryland Terrapins on your schedule anymore. And they really sent that message throughout all, throughout the entire country with this win on Saturday.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that being back in person was so much fun. The fans were there for the entirety of the game, which is really rare for the student section at a Maryland game. So I thought that was definitely a testament to how well Maryland was playing. I think that. They put on a show for the fans, and the fans in return gave back. And like you said, Sam, Coach Loxley had a lot of positive things to say about the atmosphere in the shell that day. I think maybe one of the most exciting parts about that West Virginia game was kind of seeing how it will hopefully set the tone for the rest of the season. I mean, Watching the offense explode like that in the first quarter, the first half, and then seeing the defense do what they did the second half, it was almost like picture perfect to be able to see both sides of the ball and how well they can both perform. So it was definitely really exciting.
0: Yeah, it was so much fun to cover that game back in person. And then one of the most underrated things about going to a game in person, you finally get to see the bands again. We were obsessing over the bands in the press box from up above in Tyser Tower, and it was Just so much fun to see the different formations, to hear it through the glass window that we were looking at. But just it was with fans back in College Park for college football, it was just like a sigh of relief, really. It was just a lot of fun to finally see a game in person and to see the whole atmosphere. And it was really a joy. And Maryland came to play, Sam. You mentioned it before. They came to play. They got that six point win. They pulled away late and we're just about to go over every single aspect of that game. So takeaways from the win. We had some predictions last week. I predicted that it would be somewhat of a low scoring game. The first quarter saw, I believe, 31 points or something like that, a significant amount of scoring. And I thought my prediction was shot and was going to go nowhere. But then both offenses absolutely stalled in the second half. But that benefited Maryland in the end and they come away with the win. Did that kind of game flow surprise you guys? It started off so fast. It seemed like it would be like a 50-40 kind of game and then everything just completely stopped.
2: Um, I thought it was really exciting. I mean, unexpected. I'm not, I think that there's been a lot of buildup to kind of Talia's potential coming into this season. So I would have been surprised, I think, if he didn't come out explosive. I maybe wasn't expecting the first quarter to be as fast paced as it really was. But I think, you know, he was ready to make a statement. The team was ready to make a statement in that first quarter. It's been a long time coming, and that momentum had really built in their favor, and that first quarter was incredible. On both sides of the ball, it was exciting.
1: Yeah, I said last week I thought it was going to be a high-scoring game, and after that first quarter, Maryland was up 17-14. I was like, all right, this is kind of what I expected. This is going to be an absolute shootout. And then, like you said, Dylan, both those offenses just stalled. I mean – Maryland only scored 10 points in the second half and West Virginia only scored three. So it was really became a defensive battle. Um, but yeah, so like you guys said, uh, Talia, I thought he was going to come out really strong. The game plan was going to be for him to, to deliver, find his weapons early that can help him let him get comfortable in the pocket. And that's kind of what they did. Obviously we'll get to the, his weapons and the wide receivers on the outside and the help, the help they provided, but just obviously it, it's the game stalled a little bit. It became a defensive battle. Turnovers played a big factor in that. But just in terms of the game play, like you said, it, it's kind of surprised me the, the direction it went given Maryland's explosive offense. But in the beginning, I thought that like, this is, this is the Maryland offense we're gonna be seeing all year against a very good, I think it's kind of going underappreciated how great West Virginia pass defense is. I mean, they were number one in the entire country in passing yards allowed last season, and they didn't lose a ton of guys on that defense so i mean he he really performed against a very good western defense
0: it was really interesting because you just look at that matchup and it's one of maryland's most complete performances in such a long time you look at last season the really only full complete performance that is comparable to that win over west virginia was against penn state when they went to penn state and they beat uh struggling nittany lions team 35 19 and if you I mean, they lost They lost by a ton to Northwestern that season opening game last year. They had a shootout against Minnesota and they won off a of missed extra point in overtime. That was a crazy game. And then you have two other losses against Indiana and Rutgers. So really, Maryland hasn't... That win is one of the, the best wins in a really long time for this Maryland program. And it's the first step in a really positive direction. And this team is just trending upwards.
1: And... Uh-huh. I think like you said, it was a huge win for Maryland, but also like in one of the biggest in a long time, but certainly the biggest under Coach Loxley's 10 tenure. Like he's been getting, he's been doing a great job recruiting, getting those guys, make like bring in the most elite guest speakers. That if you follow Maryland social media, Maryland football social media, I mean, every every athlete person in the sports world you could think of, Loxley could get him in to talk to the team. They had Stefan Diggs, um, former Maryland receiver with the Buffalo Bills now. They had him talk to the team the night before the game at the hotel, but he just gets everyone you can bring in. So that was that was, and this game was a three thirty game Saturday afternoon on ESPN. Like there was a lot of eyeballs on this game. It was a renewed rivalry, and they Maryland showed out and put that statement out there. Like it's not just yeah, the Big Ten is a really tough conference, but like we're we're a legitimate program there.
0: But is that win against West Virginia? Is this the best win of the Mike Loxley era? If, if you think about it, it's, it hasn't been a long era. But the only other win that you can really point to is besides entertaining in the, the Minnesota game when they won in overtime. But, I mean, the road Penn State game is really the only other game you can point to and say, here's a, a good win for uh, Mike Loxley and the, and the Terps. But that was against a struggling Penn State team. But this was against a much stronger West Virginia team that was receiving votes coming into this year in the preseason. And I would just go outright and say that this is the best win of the Mike Loxley era.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Sam, you touched on it before, and Coach Loxley said something about this the other day, but it really is attributed a lot to his recruiting. I mean, you look at these re- these players who were once recruits, of course, who've come in, you know, with Rakim Jarrett and um, Ruben Hippolyte. These are high, um, high-ranking recruits who came to Maryland, flipped to Maryland, whatever the case may be, and Loxley, like you mentioned, you know, it was it's a developing program. It was a building program and they're all here and they're all old and they're all starting on the field. And once you have all those pieces to the puzzle together it really does a lot for this Maryland team.
1: Yeah, just, just to answer your question, Dylan, there's no question it's the best win. of it. Obviously it's, this is year three, it's a short career and we'll be here for a lot more years as we expect. But this is easily the best win of his career. Minnesota was a great game. I don't think it's that outstanding of a win, especially last season was such a weird year in the Big Ten and college football in general. And the Penn State, like in hindsight, it's not that great of a win because they started the season 0-5. and They really were struggling. But obviously, anytime Maryland can beat Penn State, it's big, but easily. I think the, the national tension that it got, maybe not from a spread standpoint, but just to open up this season was a huge test for Maryland. This is the best win of his career.
2: Yeah,
1: Yeah, go ahead, Lauren.
2: When you look at, you know, the past meetings between West Virginia and Maryland and you look at how West Virginia had won nine of the last 10 and all the history that's there and all of that, I think that it really does make this win that much sweeter to program history, if you look at it that way, like to start the season off on this kind of note after having, you know, a coronavirus um, affected season to Start off with fans in the stadium with that kind of statement win and to start your season like that regular season first time in a while. It really is. It's a statement win in that sense for this program.
0: Right. I think that's definitely the right way to put it. It's you really couldn't get any better for Maryland result wise. Obviously, coming away with a win is just the way you want to start. And that brings us into our next topic, which is individually, who was the most impressive player in week one? Now I, there were so many different players that made a crucial impact. You have the you have Nick Cross, Tarheeb still leading the way on the defensive end. Uh, a turnover from Brandon Jennings, he forced a fumble and on, on as a linebacker. And then on the offensive side, you have Talia Tagovailoa had one of the best games, if not the best game of his Maryland career, and I would argue that it was his best game. But I think that the player of the game goes to Dante Dimas. I think he was phenomenal that game for Maryland. He put up over. 130 yards for this Maryland team and he came out and he showed why he's this team's number one wide receiver in his senior season and him and alongside Rakim Jarrett, I mean they're a deadly duo there's no other way to put it they're going to be one of the best in the Big Ten this year they're absolutely dominant but I just think from a statistical standpoint and just how he opened up the offense I think Dante Demas was the most effective player for Maryland against West Virginia in that win
1: yeah, I would agree that um, I would agree that Dante Damas was obviously one of the best players on the field. Like he's a great skill player with Kim Jarrett, too. When you're looking from an offense perspective, and we'll take a look at defense in a bit, but I mean, I don't know how you don't go with uh, Talia. He was just incredible. There was so much discussion coming into the game. What's he going to be like from year one to year two? He has a full offseason for the first time. It's the first time Loxley has his quarterback that. That's return a returning quarterback. And so there was so many questions about his development, but he's a hoist of weapons on the outside, like Demas, uh like Rakim. And and he just he was, I mean, he was 26 for 36, 332 yards, three touchdowns. And the biggest statistic to me is against a good West Virginia defense was zero interceptions. He had seven interceptions last year in four games. So for him to be better with his decision making and not turn the ball over, and a play might be dead. He might try to get a few extra yards with his legs, but he knows when a play is dead. Maybe he's thrown out of, he threw it out of bounds a couple of times when there was nothing there instead of heaving one down the field. That was the biggest thing for me was his improved decision making. So, I mean, I think easily Talia was the best player on the field, even with the best wide receiver to do it in the Big Ten. I know people want to look at Ohio State, Ohio State's wideouts and say it's over there, but Adante Demas over Kim Jarrett are both NFL serious NFL prospects and it's it's great for Talia to have him on the outside, but these guys are on an unreal wide receiver can do, and it was awesome to watch.
2: Yeah, and I think on top of that, they do Maryland does have just a slew of weapons outside of those two receivers. I mean, Brian Cobbs is in there and also, you know, Jay Jones when he's at full health. So it's like even beyond what we saw starting in this game. There's so much potential for these Maryland wide receivers. But I think, you know, I would agree with you, Sam, that I think Talia was definitely my player of the game. When you look at those zero interceptions against that West Virginia defense, that's what stands out the most to me. I think watching that decision-making really evolve from last season is something that's really exciting. And I'm really excited to see what he continues to do. And also something of note is, you know, Chico Conquo's performance was great after, you know, missing last season due to medical reasons to come in and to be able to have that 18-year touchdown. That is so exciting for this program. I mean to see a tight end be able to you know make a difference in the game and make a big play. I think that was huge for him and huge for his teammates and just exciting for Coach Loxley as well to be able to see kind of again what could be an evolution in that tight end position this season for Maryland.
0: And with how good the Big Ten is you really need you know you talk about uh, Chico Zimekonkwo and how he was able to perform and he did have that touchdown. If he's able to make an impact how good can this Maryland offense be You talk about a Rakim Jared and Dante Dimas as kind of the staples of the passing game. But if you add, I mean, behind them wide receiver wise, there isn't really much of a target share behind them, but if you look at Chig and if he's able to kind of spread the field out a little and just to be another weapon and another asset on this Maryland offense, they can really take it to the next level. But I just wanted to talk about, uh, I think we can move on to Talia specifically. Because, Sam, you mentioned he was your most impressive player from the week. He's, he's obviously up there for me, too. He just, it was easily the best performance I've ever seen him in a Maryland uniform. And it was also, you, we already mentioned West Virginia's defense. What is Talia's peak? Is that kind of the best performance that we're ever going to see out of him? Or is that something that we can expect from week to week? Just how much better can he get?
1: I think you're going to see a bunch of weeks where he's in the 300s and passing yards and with no interceptions. I mean, I think he's going to take that huge leap that everyone wants him to take from last year to this year that's really going to carry the offense on his shoulders. Like we talked about, it's a lot because he has amazing weapons around him. So like if he ever is in trouble, he has guys that he knows he can rely on, maybe throw it up, whatever, whatever it is, but he he has guys he can rely on. A lot of it's also going to come down to the offensive line, which I think we're going to get to. They were, they were probably the worst unit on the team coming into the season, especially in terms of their lack of depth. But they, they, they were pretty solid, in my opinion, against West Virginia. They held strong. There was a couple of times where they broke down and Talia had to make something of, of nothing with his legs. But for the most part, I thought they were pretty solid. And it's going to come down to, can they just protect Talia, keep him healthy, give him somewhat a decent amount of time because you know that Dante and Rakim on the outside are going to create space. And it was, so when you say his peak, his ceiling, like he's going to have bad games. He's going to have two interception, maybe three interception games. But I think you're going to see him produce 300 plus yards, two to three touchdown games against some really great big 10 opponents that even if their defense isn't holding West Virginia to three points like they did this past week, they're going to be, be able to stay in the game because of Talia's ability.
2: Yeah, I and
1: mean, oh, go ahead.
2: No, I also think that when you look at, how he feels about that performance he thinks that there's still a lot of room for improvement in terms of some of his decision making certain plays where he could have thrown away the ball and saved Maryland some yardage so I think when he looks forward at the season he sees that there's potential for him to set the rest of his team up for more success as well so I agree that I don't think that this is necessarily a ceiling but rather a place where he can still go up from and we can see this kind of You know, I think the name of the game is consistency for him, like we talked about last week. So if he can continue to play consistently now from week to week, I think there's a lot more that we can see out of him.
0: He's such an elite level talent as a quarterback, especially because he's, he's very mobile. He was around moving around the pocket a lot, especially when on the rare times when he was getting pressured. And that's uh, just a a statement about how good the offensive line was in the opening week. Uh, I mean, Talia, if he uses his legs, he can really take the next step. But I think while we see the development and his progression on the field, something that we learned in the press conferences is that he's also bettering himself off the field as well. He said to us directly that he is going on more of like a routine schedule. He's eating better. He's eating right. And I think that's been it has to be a very positive factor in, in how he's handling his body and his mind. And I think it's clearly benefited him. And if we see that Talia every single week consistently, then, I, then Maryland's offense is pretty much set in stone with how much they can produce a game. And it's safe to say that they did leave some points on the board against West Virginia as well. They could have easily been in the 40s if they figured some of their, their offense in the, in the third quarter and early in the fourth quarter. But they did put up 30 points. It's not a bad offensive performance by any means, but it's just that they left some points on the board. And then if I also something that crossed my mind, if you had to pick between Rakim Jarrett and Dante Dimas Jr. to lead your team, both are explosive players. Both are very reliable receivers. Which receiver are you going with and which will be the
1: bigger X factor for Maryland this season? I mean, it's such a hard question. I think they're both so important and, and it makes each one better having the other one on the other side of the field because you have to you can't like leave one you can't double one and then leave the other especially with chig getting more um, opportunities in the middle of the field so like you can't double one and leave the other because the other was just going to have explosive plays too in terms of your question like i think as an nfl prospect where kim is going to be end up being weight better than Dante. Dante's a senior, obviously, but for this team, I think Dante's more important. It feels like he has the long ball down better and more chemistry with, um, with T- T- Talia than the other receivers. But it's really like either or like there's no, this one question, there's just absolutely no wrong answer there.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that both are great leaders and you see that on and off the field, but you know, I really like Dante's mindset of kind of, you know, he's, he, he's been playing consistently over the past two seasons. And I really like how, despite, you know, as he's continuing to kind of climb up the Maryland um, program records, he really doesn't care about that. Like for him, it's all about just kind of performing while performing for his team, beating the team that's on the other side of the field. While honestly, it seems like having a good time while doing it. And as he said to us the other day um, after the game, it's kind of all about just like putting on your best performance and then the accolades come later. And for me, that's makes a great leader. Not that Rakim is not like that, but you know, I think Dante's a little bit older when you look at leadership wise, I think, you know, he has such a great connection with so many people on this team that, you know, I can't really pick one, but I like his style.
0: I'm going to, I'm going to go with uh, Rakim. Actually, I think that he's just such a game changer. And I think by the end of the season, uh, I'll just say my prediction now. I think he ends up with more yards than Demas. I think that's just how it ends, just specifically because his explosiveness and his ability to get open is just, it's unmatched on this team. There's no one else that can do it like Rakim Jarrett. And you saw it in that fourth quarter. He was one of the reasons as to why Maryland pulled away with the win. I mean, he had, what was it, 10, 15 yards of space on that lob ball all the way to the, on that deep left ball from uh, Talia. That led to the 60-yard touchdown, I believe it was. But um, Jared, I mean, his game-breaking break, game speed is an understatement of how fast he is and how quick he can separate from defenders. And I think that his ability to just break open just gives him a slight edge over Dante. I think Demas will have more receptions when all is said and done, but I think that Rakim Jared can have one 50-plus-yard catch a game with just how fast he is in general.
2: Yeah, but I think, you know, what we saw out of both of them is how ex- they both have the potential to make explosive plays. It's not just like, you know, Ruckham will get all those kind of 60-yard touchdowns. We saw it with Dante as well. So I think that with all the weapons that Maryland has, you know, um, wide receivers and also with Chig, I think that there is so much potential for so many players on this team to really just drive up their yardage this, um, this season. And I think it's going to be a lot of ex- very exciting to watch.
1: Right. It, it, it is hard, real quick. It is hard to disagree with you, Don. Um, is, is a five-star recruit for a reason. He has explosive speed. Great route runner. Like when he's playing on the um the slot and the inside too. It's like he's so hard to guard across the middle. But he can play everywhere, anywhere you need to put him. So I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard to disagree with Rakim as the answer. I think he's going to be an NFL first rounder when when that day comes. So yeah.
0: And I guess now we can move on to the running backs which I think was I don't want to say disappointing because by no means were they a disappointing aspect of the offense with Fleet Davis putting up 120 something yards and Isaiah Jacobs also going for over I believe it was 14 carries you know they both got a very heavy workload it was 14 carries for 15 yards but in the end Maryland 3.7 yards per carry as a team on the ground I feel as though that a lot of people were higher on the ground game after that game and saw it as more of a success. I'm not so sure about that because Fleet Davis' 123 yards, a huge chunk of them came late in the game when he ripped off that 53-yard run. And if he doesn't rip off that run, and, well, for, for the sake of conversation, if he doesn't rip off that run, all of a sudden Maryland's yards per carry as a team absolutely plummets. There, I mean, there was a time in, this. it seemed like in the second and the third quarter, they kept going to the run game. I will give them credit. They stayed tough and they kept going to the run game. They trusted it. I mean, both of those guys combined for 32 rushes. That's a ton of rushes for a team that, which I think should be primarily pass first. But they ended up putting up a combined 173 yards, Fleet Davis and Jacobs. But I'm I'm not so convinced about this running game yet. I don't think that for sure we could say that it's a good aspect of this team. I think that the offensive line overperformed in Week One. Hopefully they can keep that going, but I'm not sure that the running game is is as good as some people are saying it is. I
2: think, I think it was. Good. Go ahead. No, oh, no. I was just going to say I think that it's good for what expectations were. I think when you lose Jake Funk to, that, um, to the NFL this season, that there were no expectations, whereas in the passing game, there were a ton of expectations and they were met. So I think like just by comparison, you watch the passing game excel that when you see the rushing game maybe go just like okay or without that um, final, run, uh, final rush there at the end, go fine, that maybe it still seems like, you know, so if something is exceeding expectations, I think it's viewed as exciting. And I also do think like we can't just – take away that last big rush because it did play such a key role in making sure that Maryland won that game comfortably. Like um, Loxie talked about how huge it was because they were able to take the knee down at home and that that, that, made, that doesn't happen without that rush. So I think that was a huge part of the game, even though it happened late in the game. So I view it as a success. I think there's a lot of room for growth there, but that's what makes that exciting. And you're right. I agree. I think this is a team that should be primarily passing. However, I do think that, you know, I was pleased with the rushing game, but I also didn't have very high expectations for it. And I do think that in the coming games, we can see a lot of, there's a lot of potential for that to become more explosive throughout the season.
1: Yeah, I think people were genuinely shocked um, by the play calling in the second and third quarter. I mean, Maryland ran the total of 80 plays, 44 were running and 36 obviously were passing. So, <laughs> Like, I think everyone expected this to be, like we've been talking about with Talia and his wide receivers and his tight end. We Everyone expected this to be primarily pass-versus-offense. I think they will be going forward, but it will be really interesting to, to see, like, our right, clearly coming to this West Virginia game, the game plan was they wanted to pass early, but they wanted to establish the run, and they somewhat did that. Like, like you said, that without that run, their yards per carry goes down, but it was still, you can't take that away. It was still pretty solid. But there was virtually no like this was the right, this was the biggest question mark coming in to the season was like who's gonna take over the running game, even though, but everyone thought it was gonna be a pass first offense. Like Jake Funk went to the NFL and Fleet Davis, who's a senior, really got very few carries over his time here so far. And there was not a lot of experience in the running back room. But clearly Fleet Davis is the number one guy. He had eight carries for 123 yards, Isaiah Jacobs had for 50. So clearly, they wanted to establish the run. It'll be interesting to see maybe that was just, just against West, West Virginia. That was the approach. And against other opponents, it may be different, especially because they didn't really have a lead for that long. But I think people were surprised by the, the balance between the running and passing game, which can be good if, if, like you said, you weren't really impressed, Dylan. If they can establish the run early and often, and it's a legitimate threat that defense have to worry about, game planning for Maryland, I mean, the sky is the absolute limit for this offense, and it'll make Talia have even more success. But I'm not sure if they'll be able to do that. It'll be interesting to see what they do with the running game moving forward and if they're going to have that kind of
2: balance.
0: But the thing for me is that it, it seems like in the second and third quarter when they were just struggling to move the ball in general against West Virginia's front, it just seemed that they just had a game plan in mind going into it, and they just kept forcing the ball into that defensive front and for a time it wasn't working there's no other way to put it there it wasn't working for about 20 to to 25 game minutes against West Virginia but they kept going at it I believe it seems as though they trusted the game plan and it did work out in the end but it's not like there wasn't a window of opportunity for West Virginia to win there we could be talking about completely different topics today if West Virginia was able to capitalize and then that leads me to talking about Maryland's defense because they came into the season with high expectations. They have a ton of young players that were looking to make some noise and they got the job done in the second half. They gave up three points over the entire second half. They did just a phenomenal job overall stopping that West Virginia offense. And while it wasn't the greatest offense to face, West Virginia has very experienced players. They're, they're quarterback. Um, and their running back, Letty Brown, they're both very experienced players. They've been in college football for a long time. But Maryland really did a great job in that second half stopping them. And a big part of that was Tarheeb, still and Nick Cross, who I just did a piece on today. And, man, they are phenomenal pieces on this Maryland defense. And the secondary was a huge reason as to why they came away with a win.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. You look at both of them, each of them finishing with seven tackles each in that game is exciting and really shows, again, the potential that Maryland has to be great on both sides of the ball. And, you know, um, beyond that, there's other pieces to the secondary that did great. You look at, you know, Ruben Hippolyte and then um, Jordan Mosley and Deontay Banks. Like, each of them finishing with five tackles and Hippolyte having two pass breakups. Like, again, it kind of goes – like – I think the expectations were there for still and cross to do well. And they they delivered and they did a great job. And I think with the rest of the defense, not that there weren't expectations, but you know, I think people were so focused on them. And I think for them to have a great game and to, you know, perform exactly how they were supposed to was fantastic. And then I think to look at the rest of the defense and see how they performed. And, you know, um, the, um, excuse me, the um, Ja'Cory and Bennett interception, like all of those small pieces that they all put together just showed that again this Maryland team isn't about like four or five great players on you know on offense and defense it's really Loxley has really built a team that is filled with um former recruits who have just kind of like come together and really been able to adhere to his um you know his mission and his goals of just like pulling away and being able to play through four quarters of a game and You know, I think the offense took care of a lot of the first part of the game and defense really took care of the second. And ideally, you'd like to see both throughout the entire game. But for me, I deem the defense a success last game.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. This this second there is really good. I mean, Tarheeb still came on the scene last year as a freshman, led the nation in pass breakups. He's one of the best defensive backs probably in the entire in in the Big Ten. Um, with Nick Cross at safety, you said, Dylan, you had a great piece about those two. Those two are huge parts of the second there. This second there is really good. Then there's Jordan Mosley, who doesn't get a lot of love, who's a senior, a leader on this team. But he he's just very consistent and solid. I mean, if he had five tackles. Uh, three of those were solo last week. So that's a very solid game for Jordan Mosley. And then obviously Ja'Corian Bennett had the the key interception in that fourth quarter that that secured their win just about. Um But so, yeah, this secondary is really good. I mean, they don't have a lot of weaknesses. Maybe they don't have a ton of depth, but they really, the secondary is solid, and they they halted West Virginia's offense, especially in that second half. But a big thing about why this secondary succeeded last year, I mean, last uh, week against West Virginia was they they had a lot of success of getting to the quarterback and putting pressure on West Virginia's quarterback to make tough decisions. I mean, I was looking at some film, and some of those – Plays. he was like he was he was off balance because there was a ton of pressure. The offensive line broke down. Like Sam O had a tremendous game. He was winning his matchups all the time. He was he came to the game as a captain. He had four tackles and a sack, um, a huge sack on a third down. So West Virginia's offense and their quarterback was really had a tough time making decisions and making throws because of the um because of Maryland's front getting getting to the quarterback, and that helps the secondary, because they're just going to have better coverage and have more opportunity to make turnovers on the ball.
0: So Maryland's offense and Maryland's defense, they come together, first half, second half, they put together a pretty complete performance. But one of the aspects of this game that is kind of being overlooked, and it's not the biggest factor uh, of the game, but it certainly matters, the, the penalties. I mean, they didn't take many, and just that state statement alone, just that they didn't take many penalties is just such a positive trend for this team that needs to continue moving forward because they were one of the most heavily penalized teams in the Big Ten last year. And Loxley has been saying, he said all preseason, we need to be a disciplined team. We can't beat ourselves. We can't take those stupid penalties, false start holdings, you know, offsides, all of those uh, self-inflicted penalties. And that's something that I think, finally got through to this team. They did not commit many penalties. They committed five total for 39 yards. I believe they averaged eight penalties per game last year, so that's already three penalties less than their last season's average. And also, one of the penalties was just a delay of game to move the ball back on a punt. So, in reality, it's more like four penalties that were self-inflicted. But, I mean, it's just they're trending in the right direction on offense, on defense. There are so many Uh, aspects of this team to look at after that week one victory, but the penalties is just another important factor of this Maryland team that has struggled over the years with just careless flags being flown all over the place, especially on defense. But it seemed to me that they figured it out. They played a very clean game and they came out of it with just a very complete game overall.
2: Yeah. I mean, I have to push back just a little bit because I do think that, you know, the unsportsmanlike penalty, um, on defense kind of without that I think Maryland could have had three or seven more points on the board so I think that discipline is something that they still have to work on do I think it's better absolutely but you know a penalty like that could have really dramatically changed the game had there been you know had it been a little bit closer and had West Virginia broken through a little bit more so I do think you know after a huge play like the Nick Cross interception and then having it brought back 15 yards Definitely a little bit of a blow to that offense. However, despite it being a defense penalty, however, I do think that lots of improvement and hopefully the discipline only continues to grow throughout the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, you would hope that they're better discipline wise. I mean, it's hard to be as bad as they were in terms of penalties last season. Like you said, one of the worst in the big 10 Dylan Um, it's granted it, it was one game, but I do think there's certainly optimism to be had based on that one game where they, they, had some not great discipline, but better than the, than we've seen from Maryland in a long time. I think a lot of that is number one. loxley has been preaching discipline all offseason, all training camp. It's something they've certainly been working on, and also they have a lot of returning guys from last year on both sides of the ball. So like that's going to come with experience and just being around being around each other. You're gonna you're gonna develop better discipline. The other thing I um which want to talk about the defense is just their takeaways. I mean, we talked about two interceptions, but two fumbles as well. One on a, a punt return. That's four total takeaways to West Virginia zero like that. That's the difference in the game here, because without those takeaways and setting West Virginia up for just poor situations, they they really don't win this game unless they take the ball away like they did. And the biggest thing about that is last year in five games, they had two interceptions. They had two interceptions just in, in week one of this season. That's something Loxley also talked about after the game, which was. They need to take the ball. Yeah, they can get defensive stops, but at some point you need to take, you need to take care of the ball offense and take the ball out of the opposing team's offense um, and give it back to your offense. And that's what they did. And if they can continue to force those takeaways, this defense will be set. Just giving the ball back to their prolific offense, the, the sky's the limit.
0: And I think the defense subtly, you, you know, as, as well as they played, I think they've even better than most people think, because if you look at the special teams, Maryland gave up two huge kickoff returns, huge, massive West Virginia had the ball. What did they start on Maryland's two yard line? And then they had another one where they, you know, they were, they were already in the red zone. They were already pressuring and Maryland still, and that was on two separate possessions and Maryland still only gave up 24 points on the entire game. And that's just a testament to, to how well they played in general but is, is there any concern for special teams? or Is that just a, a blip? I mean, those two huge kickoff returns were really well done by West Virginia. It seemed that uh, their kickoff team just picked apart Maryland's special teams on defense. But is, is it much of a concern moving forward? Where do you guys stand on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you have to say it's a concern. I'm sure they're working on it in practice all week watching that film, seeing what went wrong from a schematic standpoint. Um, there's a few missed tackles on through those returns. I mean, that, that can't happen. They're really grateful that they didn't lose based on those two big returns. I mean, that should be 14 points for their team right there. Um, so yeah, it's certainly concern. I think they'll figure it out. That's part of discipline too on the special teams. I think special teams was their worst unit um, on Saturday, but I think they're going to get that right. And so it's not a major concern, but that's something they're certainly working on all week in practice.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of it is also just first game out of the gate and kind of just figuring out what works best for them. And I think it's too early to say it's cause for concern, but I definitely think there's room for improvement there.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything else to add. I think that those I think kickoff return defense is something that uh, a team can definitely improve on as the season goes along. And who knows, maybe it's just started the season jitters on special teams. Now, moving past the West Virginia game, plenty of content with that game. But now we are looking ahead to maryland's matchup with howard it is a reunion after maryland and howard's matchup in 2019 and to say maryland won that game by a lot would be somewhat of an understatement maryland came away with a 79 to zip win over howard in college park 2019 i remember that game very vividly Uh, i went as a fan at the time so it was it was a fun one to go to but Now they're facing a new Howard team coming into this game. What are the expectations heading into the second week of football for Maryland?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for this game. If you look at the Howard game where Maryland won 79-0, to um, you know, you had Dante Demas making a big impact in that game. I'm hoping to see the same thing. I believe he had two touchdowns in that game. Uh, Chig had a touchdown in that game. So just kind of some key players are still here from that game and have only grown since. So I'm excited to see that. And I think that, you know, my expectations, I'm feeling good going into this game in terms of, you know, consistency. I think that this game will be kind of telltale going from seeing if Maryland can continue that momentum from the West Virginia game will kind of be a signifier to what kind of season Maryland could have. I think that there's a lot of game play ahead this season and depending on how they, you know, if they kind of teeter after that win or continue to build on that, that would, is pretty telltale for how they'll do.
1: Yeah, I think this is a very much an uh, experiential game. That's the right word I'm looking for here. But I think you know they're gonna like they're they're obviously gonna be huge favorites. I don't think anyone is predicting that Maryland's gonna lose this game and or that it's gonna be close at all. Howard's not very good, especially Maryland coming off of last week's win. Um, they obviously have to take it very seriously. They prepare and as they will, like it's any other opponent. But I do think this is an opportunity for them to work on a lot of these things they know they, they need to work on and they we've been talking about, like their discipline issues, like the special teams, um, like that balance between the running game and passing game and getting other guys reps at running back, maybe like their offensive line um, being good pass protectors and run protectors. I mean, these are, this is like a tune-up game. There's a ton of things they need to work on, and I think they will. It's like – After this, watching this film, they certainly should dominate them, and they'll get out to a big. I expect them to get out to a big lead. But I mean, I'm looking on the matchup predictor right now. Maryland is 99.7 percent. I'm supposed to win this game, and I can't even find a line for it. It could be in the 30s. I mean, 79 to zero is a huge discrepancy. A couple. You think it'll be more than 30, Dylan says. I
0: think think it'll be way more than 30, but just you can Um, keep going.
1: I can't. Which is weird. On a Wednesday, you can't even find a line for a Saturday game, but. Whatever. Um. So yeah, I think it's a tune-up game. You know, they're going to work on these. It's only week two. They're going to work on a lot of these things. They start Big Ten play the week after against Illinois. So I think they're just going to work on these things. I think that we're going to see some, not a 100, like if this is a 14 point game then everything we're saying is out the window, I don't expect it to be. But I think we could see some Reese, Uh, Udinski actually. If Maryland gets out to like a 40 plus point lead, um, I think they could give Talia some rest. I think gonna see some lot of number two guys getting in some backups getting some getting some minutes against Howard and if Reese Studinsky is healthy as we've been told he is then we, we could see some time from him.
0: Yeah I think that the starters probably come out I would say around halftime if I if if all goes according to plan for Maryland. I really can't see Howard doing any kind of damage to Maryland in week two. And it's really important to note how It's this game is really important. Long story short, because it is a dress rehearsal for Big Ten play and and Howard, you know, they might be a team that obviously Maryland might look over and and I'm sure that we hear that they won't look over them and that they'll take them as any other opponent. But in reality, Howard is just not on the same level that Maryland football is. And I think that's known but going into just looking at the week after that, not to look ahead, but you know, I am looking ahead, looking at Illinois. That's it's their first big 10 game and it's on the road. It's not going to be an easy one. Any big 10 game on the road, as we've learned throughout every single sport in Maryland history, no matter what it is, a big 10 game on the road is not a given. So, I mean, this is a chance for them to, to figure out the kinks in this team to really, uh, you know, to really fix everything. So I think it's, it's an important game for Maryland to just kind of close out, just to get the job done in the first half to, and then get the, the bench players out there. But, I mean, is, is there any kind of worry for this game? Uh, from my point, I, there's, no, there's no worry at all from just a, a Maryland football standpoint. I think they win by 60-plus, uh, honestly. I think they win by that much. So I I don't crazy. I I look look I just don't think Howard is nearly on the same level that Maryland is. I think that Maryland is going to find themselves like they're not going to not score. That that's what I will say. They're going to probably score nearly every time on every offensive possession and if that defense is anything that we saw on week 1 against West Virginia, it's going to be a very long game for Howard.
1: Yeah, I mean I mean I guess Relatively 60 points isn't that much when the last time these two teams played, it was 79 they put up. So I mean, I like like I completely agree. I think they're gonna have an absolute breeze. But if if you're the Maryland team, you're not listening to anything we're saying right now. You're if you're the coaching staff, which I'm sure is what their tongues, you're preparing like this, like it's any other game. You're going in like it's any other opponent, and you just wanna beat the brakes off them. And and we expect them to, and we're gonna see a lot of backups, we think. And here's why that
0: I think that they score 60 plus, not just because they're, you know, Maryland is just kind of on a different level than Howard. If you look at that matchup back in 2019, here's how Maryland's fourth quarter totals go. First quarter, 28 points. Second quarter, 28 points. Third quarter, 16 points. Fourth quarter, seven points. There's obviously a drop off there from the first half to the second half. And I think we will see something very similar. I don't know if they put up 56 points at the first half again. That's a little absurd, but I would expect somewhere around 40 points in the first half and around 20-ish in the second. I think that's a realistic total. I don't think I'm overshooting here. Does, does anybody think I'm overshooting?
1: No. I mean, no, but, like, to win a football game, yes. Howard is not even on the same stratosphere as Maryland. To win a football game by 60-plus points is really difficult. So I don't think you're overshooting, but it, it, it is uh, quite the prediction.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think if Maryland – cleans up some of the mistakes that they had in the last game against West Virginia, obviously Howard Howard and West Virginia also are on different kind of playing fields. So I don't, I think if they can clean things up, maybe your, your 60 plus point prediction is there, but I think it's a little bold.
0: Okay, fine. So Lauren thinks it's a little bold. I don't think it's that bold. Sam's sort of on the same page with me. I just don't think he's willing to admit it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I think that's enough football talk for now. And there was more Big Ten news today. Maryland men's and women's basketball finally released their Big Ten schedules. I think we can just briefly go over that. I mean, Maryland, first we can start with Maryland men's basketball. Um, they had Their non-conference schedule was already released. They are playing solid teams, Florida in Brooklyn. And then they're playing, uh, they're playing Virginia Tech, Richmond, Hofstra, and a bunch of other non-conference teams early in the season. And looking at their Big Ten schedule, they start off against Northwestern at home on December 5th to kick off their conference schedule. And that game will be in College Park. And then they go on the road to Iowa, Illinois. They play Wisconsin, Rutgers, Michigan on the road. It's, you know, a a big slate of Big Ten teams. It's going to be a really fun season for this men's basketball team. And there hasn't really been any much content besides the transfers earlier in the summer. So now we actually finally have some Maryland men's basketball schedule content to go over. But what do you guys think of this this schedule? Just, you know, initial thoughts about the release and what it looks like.
1: Yes, I mean, there's nothing shocking from the release. We knew what the opponents were going to be. Like I look at that Michigan game mid-January. That's going to be a huge one. I think those are going to be two of the best teams in the Big Ten. Obviously, Maryland fans hoped and prayed it was in College Park, but it's not. It's in Ann Arbor. Um, the Ohio State matchups that's uh, they play at, home, at Ohio State and at, in College Park, I believe, if I'm correct on that. And, um, those Ohio State's going to be great, I think, those are gonna be great matchups. Purdue, like, these are the like, Maryland should be a top five team in the Big Ten this year. So, I think I look at those other great teams in the Big Ten, and those are the ones I circle. But, like, we know, like, like we saw last year, the Big Ten is incredibly deep, there is no like lay walk over game, even Northwestern. I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I think they're going to be towards the bottom of the big 10, but December 5th, Maryland has to be ready to go against their big 10 opponents because there's those games are always battles. They're brutal. And that's the big reason why I think um, Mark Turgeon and Maryland uh, men's basketball schedules a somewhat cakewalk. I mean, they, they play Florida. They have a few different non-conference matchups, but for the most part, they don't really have a difficult non-conference schedule because when they get into that big 10 play, I mean, it's, it's brutal, and there's, it's, it's a battle every single night.
0: Well, the Maryland men's basketball season is going to be just a really fun one in general, I think, and Lauren was just getting to the non-conference topic, but uh, they do have a tough schedule ahead, and you said it, Sam, all these Big Ten teams, they're obviously going to come to play, and you mentioned that Northwestern game, and um, all I could think about is when Maryland traveled to Northwestern uh, uh, when Jalen Smith was on the roster, and they really—they were struggling on the road, and they come back and have a miraculous win. But it just—it you know, sparked my memory of how no—and Northwestern was at the near the bottom of the conference. So it's just, uh, just how how deep the Big Ten is, and no game is easy, no matter where you play, and every day is going to be a fight. But so much fun that we finally get a, a schedule release, we get to visualize what the season will kind of look like. But I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the home and away games against Ohio State. I mean, the Ohio State's always bringing an excellent roster and College Park is certainly going to be electric. So that's one matchup I'm looking out for. And then moving on to Maryland women's basketball, another excellent team of Maryland athletics. Lauren and I, you, we, we know them very well. We covered them all last year. We are very familiar with this team. They're returning basically every single piece, critical piece to the roster. Actually, Wusu, Chloe Bibby, Katie Benzin, you name it. They got stars all around the lineup. Diamond Miller, you know, they, such a deep lineup. And we got their schedule as well. They have, you know, the, the Big Ten schedule was, as the men's basketball was, you know, somewhat expected. But it's the non-conference games that are going to be they probably have they might have the most difficult non-conference schedule in the entire country. NC State, Stanford, South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, these these are the cream of the crop of uh, Division One women's basketball.
2: I mean, I think whether they say it or not, they want to be a number one seed. And really, the only thing that stood in their way last year was people arguing their toughness of schedule outside the conference. And, you know, if I think Maryland does well out of conference. They are going to go into that conference schedule with so much confidence, not that they even need a confidence boost, but with so much confidence. I think that, you know, women, this, the big 10 is the deepest, one of the deepest, if not the deepest conference in women's basketball. And I think you look at some of these games and like when they play Michigan, having to face Michigan twice in a season is definitely going to be a challenge. you know, Indiana twice in a season, they were voted the big 10. They were voted the favorites of the conference last year rather than Maryland. And I think for uh, Maryland to play Ohio state twice is also going to be interesting. That is the one conference game that the Terps dropped last year. So I think that that is definitely something to look out for the fact that they'll be playing them twice this season.
1: Yeah. um, When you look at, I think it's very, when you look at Maryland women's basketball schedule, I think it was very by design this the schedule that they have i mean not only did they like you said Lauren they want to be a one seed but they they don't want to have a scenario where they're they're playing some out of conference opponent in the tournament and they they may not be ready to get i mean they're playing as the toughest competition you could possibly play probably i don't have a metric on this but probably the hardest schedule in the entire country out of any team and the Big Ten is incredibly deep, but for some, whatever reason, it didn't get the respect it deserved last season. I think that's something um, Brenda Fries talked about. And so that's why they were a two seed. I mean, they led the country in offense with 90 points per game. They were the number one, number one in scoring. And we expect with returning all five starters and returning their top eight scorers, we expect them to have the number one offense in the country again. And or if not, a top three or top five offense. So they'll be tested and they'll be tested early. But they, the expectation for this team is really a final four and a national title. And they were very close last year. I think their supporters and the people around them covering them thought they were going to get there. Obviously, they got upset and didn't happen. But returning everyone, the expectation is a national title. And I think it's more than plausible that they get that done.
0: Yeah, I think that the Maryland women's basketball team might be the best team in Maryland athletics in general this year. So, obviously, I will be watching every one of their games when that season rolls around. So, Maryland men's and women's basketball both release their Big Ten schedules. Very excited for those seasons. And as we wrap it up here on the Des Studio Times podcast, we will go into field hockey first. Let's get into those Olympic sports. So, Maryland field hockey. They, I mean, you talk about another Maryland team that is coming off just a a tough start to the like a tough schedule to start the season. I believe they played three straight ranked teams and they came away with a really strong win over Duke 4-0 and they're just as most Maryland teams are right now, trending in a really good direction.
2: Yeah, most definitely. I think that, you know, they fell to BC, which was definitely a little bit of a, um, I don't want to use the term wake up call, but like a little bit of a reset for them. And then to come back and beat Duke in the fashion that they did. I mean, winning for nothing over the number 12 ranked team in the country is no cakewalk. So I think, you know, we keep seeing uh, same key players really making a difference. Uh, Bibi Tomrat um, winning big ton offensive player of the week. Two goals in that first quarter, four minutes apart um, against Duke. Huge win for Maryland. And she's a huge player in that.
1: Yeah, I mean this field hockey program after maybe a down year that people were saying last year they've like they've turned it around they've returned almost almost everybody from last season and obviously their head coach Missy Maharga, is a legend so she as people expected she, she's turned the program around and they're off to a great start and we'll see where they go from here
0: And then looking at volleyball just I mean you you look at all these Maryland teams, I mean it's it's hard to find any weak pro and any weak team so far. I mean, even though they are before Big Ten play, Maryland volleyball, six and no to start the season. Uh, I went to that season opener game, just a different energy among the team. They're they they're looking great, they're feeling great, you know, just as a team in general. And they've swept to like invites and challenges already. And now they're moving on to the Charm City Challenge, presented by Speedy Sir Speedy. That's a very interesting name for a tournament, but they're going to play Howard, Quinnipiac, UMBC, just another team trending in the right direction. And then I think the last thing that we're going to get to, both soccer teams, and did you guys, were you guys able to catch that Maryland men's soccer game? I mean, that goal that Brian Padilla scored. At Maryland men's soccer has a, has a soft spot in my heart because I covered them last year. Such a fun team to, to follow, and all great guys on that team. Wonderful program run by Sasha Sarovsky. And they're the number seven team in the United States uh, coaches poll for Division One soccer, 4-0 to start the season. But that Brian Padilla goal to seal that 2-1 victory over Virginia, while well, Virginia was down to man, but that was one of the best Maryland soccer goals I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, that, that goal was remarkable. And obviously Center was all over it. Scott Van Pelt was all over it, as they should be, because it was a remarkable goal. They were off to a great start. Now that we're talking about this, and I'm just thinking about it, maybe this is a story idea, I just thought in my head. I would love to see some statistics about the fall sports start to a season, maybe like their win to loss total. But I mean, in terms of the field hockey, both men's and women's soccer teams, the football one no start and they, they have a schedule that can lead them to a few more wins. I mean, this has to be, and I don't know, I've only been a student here for three years, but this has to be one of the greatest in terms of win-loss starts for Maryland fall sports in a long time. After a lot of these fall sports, just wrapped up a spring season because they couldn't play last fall i mean it's really remarkable what the Maryland athletics in general is doing right now
2: yeah i've been thinking about that a lot recently i feel like every story that we go over every beat reporter who we talk to like these teams are just doing well and it is so exciting to be able to cover teams that are doing well i mean it's always exciting to be covering maryland athletics you know big Ten's an exciting conference but to have all these teams who maybe the expectations weren't necessarily there to do well i mean uh, field hockey was coming in after a down season but of course you know coach under missing Maharg, they're always it's always an expectation there but you look at you know field hockey volleyball came off a really really tough season they were projected to be at the bottom of the big 10 and men's soccer had a little bit of a choppier start to their season last year and women's soccer had didn't win a game so i think when you look at the way that these teams are starting it's not only is it so exciting? But it's just a dramatic turnaround from the past few seasons. So a lot to watch.
0: Right. Plenty to watch. Maryland Women's Soccer now four, one and one. They after their draw against St. Joseph's, they're gonna go ahead and play Penn. They will play the Quakers on Thursday. So I believe that wraps up the Testudo Times podcast for today. We thank you so much for listening. We had plenty of content to talk about from football to all the other Maryland sports. And to say it's going for Maryland Athletic, it's going well for Maryland Athletics. I think that's a very true statement. So that'll do it here on the Test Times podcast. I am Dylan Spilko alongside Lauren Roche and Sam Oshry. We thank you so much for listening and join us next week for the next podcast.